baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. The Chris and Amy Show, sponsored by Summer at SLU. Find your kids' best summer yet at St. Louis University. Chris and Amy on KMOX, Amy Marks Cores and Chris Ranji. It is hour two of the show. We still do have concert tickets to give away. Doobie Brothers, that's coming up uh, before the show does come to an end. One o'clock, it is the Dave Glover Show, and we will hang out with him for an hour. And also at 1130, Ed O'Keefe of CBS News, who has been covering the Nikki Haley campaign for CBS. He'll be joining us to discuss the New Hampshire primaries taking place today. That is correct. Amy Marks, Coors, and Chris Ranji. And we go to the Quiver River Electric guest line again this morning because International Holocaust Remembrance Day is happening on Saturday, January 27th. There are events that are happening at the Kaplan-Feldman Holocaust Museum that day and on the 28th, and to discuss that with us, we have on the Quiver River uh, Electric guest line today, Helen Turner with the Kaplan-Feldman Museum. Uh, Helen, we appreciate your time today. Thank you for joining us. Hello, everyone. Good morning, and thank you so much for having me. Well, no, thank you for, for being with us. So let's talk about what is happening this weekend at the museum. Certainly. So, you know, this weekend is full of different uh, remembrance events uh, for International Holocaust Remembrance Day. So the entire weekend, Friday, Saturday and Sunday are all pay as you wish, which means that as long as you give a penny, um, you can enter the museum, which is fantastic. If you've been curious about the museum or haven't been yet, it's a great weekend to come and check us out. Um, But we have student programming, which is beginning on the Saturday. We have our first student story hour Um, at 11 o'clock. We're reading The Yellow Star, which is a free event for students um, five, six, seven and eight years old. And then we're actually having um, one of our survivors, Rachel Miller. She's going to be giving live public testimony at one o'clock. Um, And I would encourage anybody out there, if you haven't heard survivor testimony, Rachel is extraordinary. Um, And so she'll be speaking at one. And then on the Sunday, um, we are having our uh, name reading, which is where every year we read the names of Holocaust victims um, uninterrupted. Um, This year we're doing five hours. You can come to the museum to watch the name reading. You can participate by signing up and we'll also be live streaming it. And then sort of the capstone event that we're happening this weekend is a lecture by um, Dr. Michael Barenbaum. He was the programming director for the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington, D.C. And he'll be speaking on um, anti-Semitism in the wake of October 7th at 3.30. Um, And that really is going to be an incredible, unique event. Yeah, and I wanted to talk to you more about this year's Holocaust Remembrance Day in light of the tragic events taking place right now. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Just as a a quick note, you said the Yellow Star, uh, the story hour on January 27th, is five to eight years old. For families who know the importance of learning about the Holocaust, remembering the victims, um, 
is the museum itself um, good for that age as well, five to eight, or really just that story hour? What should families expect as far as bringing young kids? Oh, fantastic question. Um, So we really wanted our story hour to be a very gentle introduction. Um, It's a rescue story, the story of the Yellow Star. It's the legend of the King of Denmark. Um, So it's all about how we stand up and and are are together. So it's a great introductory for children. Um, There'll be a craft associated. There'll be snacks, which is always important. Um, But the museum itself, just because of the content of what we're showing, is really for 10 and up. So I would definitely say story hour is for your younger students, um, especially if you're looking to introduce them to the Holocaust in a very gentle, age-appropriate way, and the exhibition is really for 10 and up. Helen Turner from the Kaplan Feldman Museum is with us right now on KMOX, and you mentioned um, uh, Rachel Miller, who's who's going to be between 1 and 2 o'clock on Saturday um, mm-hmm. as a survivor talking about her experience in France. Now, are, are, when you have somebody like that who can give a first-hand of, account of what it was like during that time and what it was like surviving during all of that. That has to be, I would think, for a, a visitor's perspective, one of the more captivating things that you that you do over the weekend, isn't it? Oh, 100%. Um, and I think there's, there's nothing like hearing testimony. Um, and especially, you know, Rachel is a beautiful speaker with a really incredible story to share. And um, I would encourage anybody out there, if you have not heard survivor testimony, our survivors are aging. um, And this is a really important and powerful thing to be at. Of of all the ways you could acknowledge this weekend and these events um, of the Holocaust, this is really it. Um, So I'd highly encourage people to come. Um, It is a completely free event, but because we are anticipating a large crowd, we are asking people to please register on our website under the events tab. Yeah, and um, this is the, just the gravity of the situation of what happened on October 7th. Um, I, I can only imagine hearing Rachel Miller's story and then understanding more what she went through um, in light of knowing that there were Holocaust survivors who were murdered on October 7th or who had to live through October 7th. And that is something I think it's a it's a amount it's a magnitude of suffering that i think is difficult for the human brain to understand certainly and i think you know that's why um, i'm so proud that dr barenbaum is coming on january 28th um, because he's really going to be able to put that all in context um, he's an extraordinary speaker. He's a Holocaust scholar. He, as I said, he helped design and, and run the museum in Washington, D.C. Um, but he has been um, very powerful in what he's talking about with how we situate October 7th in our understanding of Holocaust and Holocaust education. Of course, not making any um, comparisons, but really looking at how we can see connections. Um, and so he, I think he's going to deliver a really um, extraordinary keynote. And I'm I'm just so proud as a Holocaust museum that we're offering this kind of programming. And we really want anyone in the St. Louis region, if you haven't visited us yet, um, this is a beautiful weekend to do it. We look forward to welcoming everybody. Um, and we'd really just think this is a, a very important weekend to be remembering the Holocaust. The website for more information is stlholocaustmuseum.org. And with the weekend coming up, and you mentioned the pay-as-you-wish weekend, um, starting mm-hmm. on Friday, it goes through Sunday. If there's, if there's one thing that you want people to take away 
if they come to any of the events that happen um, over that three days, what do you want that to be? You know, I always say to people that the museum is not an answer, it's a question. And I really hope that people come away with questions about this history, that they are curious, but also that they are questioning perhaps themselves and how we operate in the world. You know, so much of the museum is not just about telling this history, presenting the facts, the names, dates, figures, but it's really about looking inside all of us um, and seeing how do we see um, hatred and bigotry present themselves in our worlds today. And not only how do we see it, what do we do about it? We want to make sure that every visitor who leaves the museum feels empowered to make change. Um, one of the museum's um, major initiatives is that change begins with us, with you and me, with all of us right here in St. Louis. Um, and we want everybody in St. Louis to feel empowered and part of our message. Yeah, I, I again, looking at the Holocaust and what the museum presents, as you say, it it's not just telling people that it happened. It's telling people how and why so that they can recognize that, see that, and come away with a deeper understanding of how something so awful took place. Yeah, 100%. And that, that's really what we're all about here at the museum. It's, it's making sure that this history is connected to you. It's a very personal museum. It's a very St. Louis-focused museum, um, but it truly is for anybody. Um, you don't have to um, have a personal connection to this moment in history. It's about human beings and our behavior and how we treat each other. This may seem like a, an odd question, but what would you say to someone who is perhaps interested in coming but is intimidated by it, you know, by, by, by the nature of it, by what might be presented? Certainly. So, A, I think that's a wonderful question. Um, And I would say to anybody who's a little nervous that that's completely fine. It's very normal. Uh, You're not alone. Um, Our museum is designed for 10 and up, um, and we've been very careful with the placing of graphic imagery, which I think is what people are most nervous about. Um, And so we do have things, you know, they're more in videos or in drawers. Um, It is age appropriate for 10 and up. Um, But for our older audiences, you can engage with more graphic material. But for our younger audiences or anyone who might be a little bit nervous, um, there's a safe gateway in. And we really believe here at the museum that we will bring you safely into this history. And our job is to bring you safely out. Um, And we are here to make sure that, that you are okay um, and, uh, but if anybody is nervous, you can always give us a ring here at the museum. Uh, you can email me. I'm right on the website. I'm Helen Turner. Um, we want to make sure that everyone feels safe and welcome in our space. Again, the website is stlholocaustmuseum.org. All the information that you could possibly want is there. Uh, Helen Turner, we appreciate your time today. Thank you for talking with us. No, I appreciate you, and and, uh, thank you so much, Um, and thank you for letting me be part of the show. That is Helen Turner, again, with the um, Kaplan-Feldman Museum. The International Holocaust Remembrance Day is the 27th, and there are all kinds of events starting on Friday and run through Sunday. And again, it is pay-as-you-wish weekend, so all you have to do is give a penny at least when you go in. And all the information about the lectures, about the story hour registering, it's very, very easy at stlholocaustmuseum.org. You can just see, click on it, find the more information, register for what you need to register for. That's Amy Marks, Cores. I'm Chris Ranji on KMOX. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Well, Amy, there is only one person in the world with more Stanley Cups than the Montreal Canadiens. You know who it is? <laughs> I think I do, Ronge. Tell me. Well, yes, it is a 23-year-old woman in Sacramento, California. No kidding. She stole 65 Stanley Cups. We're talking the Stanley tumblers, you know, that people drink out of, and everybody has one these days. Do you know what 65 Stanley Cups what amount of money that uh, that amounts to? Times Do you know? Forty two thousand. It is two thousand five hundred dollars worth of Stanley Cups. She was arrested, <sighs> and she was. This was this happened in Roseville, California. Uh, she was caught with a car full of them. Uh, workers at a local business called police last Wednesday after they saw a woman loading up a shopping cart full of the tumblers and leaving the store without paying. The store employees tried to stop her, but the woman ignored them, stuffed the stolen tumblers into her car, and took off. She was stopped on the highway and pulled over fairly quickly. Okay, 314-436-7900. If you would like to text in your thoughts, I I think I'm jaded against things like this. I, I've never understood trends. I've always marched to the beat of my own drum, which, you know, which is why I am the dork slash nerd that I am. I'm fine with that. I like that. The Stanley Cup thing is so bizarre to me. I understand something being popular, but this has become an obsession for a lot of people. And are if you have a Stanley Cup, are you glad you have a Stanley Cup? Do you feel this is one teenager I know got a Stanley Cup early on and then everybody in her high school got the Stanley Cup and now she's embarrassed and she doesn't use it anymore because she feels, mm-hmm. you know, like a sheep, right? So yeah. she's like, I'm embarrassed to use my Stanley Cup. And I don't, I think it's clunky and cumbersome. I just like the cheap plastic Nalgene bottles. I've got a gazillion of them. You throw them around, you lose them. It's not a huge deal. Now, Raj got a new cup. He got a new insulated cup. But then cup, I got a thermos. But he got a thermos. I got the, I went with the original. Did you purposefully not get a Stanley Cup? Um, look, I, I feel like the St. Louis Blues. I'm just happy to have one Stanley Cup. And I've got it you, in my house. It's, it doesn't look cup? like it doesn't look like the rest of them. It's it doesn't not the have the tumbler handle. With the, or the no, handler. It, it I, is a tumbler. And I've had it What's since 2017. It's a it's the old and I got it because ooh, it looks old and vintage. Like, like my the grandpa. Green one. My grandpa had a green one. The old original green mm-hmm. Stanley. And it's got a little trigger. Uh, um, mm-hmm. You push the button and it opens up and then you can drink out of it and doesn't spill. That's what I got. And I've I haven't used it in a while. And I've been afraid to break it out because I don't want to be a sheep. I'm like you're uh, the person you're talking about. Yeah. Who's 10 years old and doesn't want to be a sheep. And good for her. She's a teenager. She's oh, not she's a teenager. 10. How old yeah. is she? She's in high school. All right, good for her for not wanting to be. Do you know how hard it is to be in high school and not want to be like everybody else? Yeah. She just feels embarrassed because 
she got it right when it was starting to get popular. And I think then you feel like, oh, man, you know, I got this as a gift and now I don't want to use it because everybody is using it. But it's very much a thing. So if you have a Stanley Cup, do you know it's what everybody has? And so that's why you want it? Because it's not... I guess it's just like it's the thing to have. It's not necessarily a status symbol like the way a fancy purse would be, right? I know they're expensive. They're $40, but it's not... It's not like it's a $2,000 purse or something that everybody knows about. It's just a popular item that is expensive for a cup, but relatively affordable if it's your one thing you want to buy. What I don't, okay. But I. It's, I know this is a TikTok thing and uh, the Stanley company had a resurgence going back to pre-pandemic. Yeah. It was starting to come back and at the time, Yeti was the thing. Everybody had a Yeti mm-hmm. tumbler, always talking about Yeti. And there was a good reason for it because they they did seem to perform better than most of the other tumblers that had been out at the time. And therefore, they were a little bit more expensive. Okay, I get it. Um, I know that the current Stanley Cup thing, which has totally exploded, it kind of started with TikTok. And um, for whatever reason, it is just, it, it's skyrocketed from there. But what I don't get about it is it's not like it's a new technology. It's not. It's not like it's something new. Hydro flask, Yeti, thermos, they're all the same thing. You know, Beanie Babies, when that was a thing, there was really nothing like that at the time. Is that why you have so many? Uh, I don't know if I ever got any of those. I feel like somebody in my family, maybe my cousin. We definitely kid, did. Got like, we got them in our Easter baskets. Like I was a kid. Yeah. And I remember getting like a... Beanie Baby in our Easter basket. But that made sense. That was a thing that was yeah. unlike anything else that had been out at the time. So I get that. I don't get freaking out over a tumbler. So what's crazy is the guy behind its recent rise to fame, because Stanley's been around forever, is Terrence Riley. Terrence Riley is the executive who got Justin Bieber and Bad Bunny to make Crocs cool. Crocs were not supposed to be cool. Crocs were in idiocracy. But were people ever fighting each other to get Crocs? They weren't. They weren't. But he made Crocs popular, right? They were in idiocracy. They were supposed to be stupid. And he made them cool. They were a startup company then. Now, Terrence Riley got people to commit crimes to get Stanley Cups. They Women were fighting each other, punching each other in Target. Did you see the guy that did the flying squirrel over the Starbucks counter to grab the valentine's day stanley cups same guy that flew over the the, the judge's bench <laughs> and looked like attacked that. the judge it looked like that yeah here's here's something also i don't like drinking water out of a straw i know you don't have to use the yeah, straw i don't like it either i don't i like a straw for iced coffee i prefer a straw for iced coffee i, don't I like agree drink, with you on I that i don't like drinking water I out agree of with, a straw do you know why when you get the iced coffee and yeah. and and a lot of places don't have straws any yeah. longer. They got the big opening. Mm. Ice just goes down your in your mouth. I don't like it. Hits your teeth. I don't it like spills. it. It spills. It does But spill. I would pay right now, I would pay $10 not to have to drink out of a Stanley Cup. That's, well, I'm not doing that. You would feel silly walking around town in a Stanley Cup. Do you think you could get more phone numbers, pick up ladies, or fewer? Bro, I'm good already. Well, Don't, just hypothetically. Hey, you ain't got to worry about me. Well, I'm not worried. I just want to know. What's a what's another 10 bucks to a billionaire? You Guys, know what I mean? we're going to do this. I'm going to film you trying to pick up ladies with a Stanley Cup in your hand. Let's go. 
We should do that. We should do It's a good idea. All right, let's go. Uh, Amy Marks, Chorus, Chris Ranji. We will talk to Ed O'Keefe from CBS News covering the New Hampshire primary today. That's next on the Chris and Amy Show on KMOX. It's Amy Marks, Coors, and Chris Ranji here on KMOX. Uh, the New Hampshire primary is happening today. A very big day um, in the Republican Party, and we'll see just how well Nikki Haley performs. So we go to the Quiver River Electric guest line. Senior White House and political correspondent Ed O'Keefe joins us on the Quiver River Electric guest line. Good morning, Ed. How are you? Great to be with you guys. I'm doing well. Well, it's it's good to have you. And uh, just about a half hour ago, Donald Trump on Truth Socials, uh, I almost said tweeted, but he wrote, I get much better poll numbers, P-O-L-E, against <laughs> Biden than Nikki Haley. Not even close. So um, what do you suspect will end up happening today? Will he finish really far ahead of her? I think it's only a question of by how far ahead is he uh, over Nikki Haley at this point, whether it's double digits, as many project, is she able to get closer um, and keep it maybe within 10 points? That would certainly give her momentum and a little wind at her back as she heads back to her home state of South Carolina. Her team insisting this morning that she plans to stay in the race through South Carolina and beyond. They've noted that she raised a million and a half dollars since Ron DeSantis dropped out Sunday night, a sign that there's at least some financial support coming her way. But the Trump team would turn around and say, look, we, we've got more of that money, more of that momentum, more of the sort of uh, brick-and-mortar Republican institutional support to make sure we can get over the finish line in South Carolina and beyond. It's time to clear this field and get on to the general election. He may have a strategic point in wanting to do that, but she'd argue, look, only about 1.3% of the country's weighed in, and uh, maybe a few others should first. When the announcement was made Sunday by Ron DeSantis that he would be suspending his campaign, what was the reaction in New Hampshire? Was there a ruckus at all, or was it a smooth shift to, well, I guess we'll shift our DeSantis vote to Trump or Haley? It was more that, because he wasn't polling outside of single digits anyway. His team understood and most everyone monitoring things here believes that he wasn't going to be a factor, that this was, in essence, a two-person race. He had not spent sufficient time cultivating New Hampshire voters, uh, focusing so much more instead on Iowa, or, of course, he only ended up coming in second. So there was really no need for him to spend time here, and they realized over time that then there wouldn't be a need to be in South Carolina because that's Haley's home state, and he was running out of options. So that roughly... Maybe no more than 8% of the vote that would have gone to DeSantis has probably redistributed itself mostly in the direction of former President Trump because so many of DeSantis' supporters were former Trump backers who were just looking for the next generation or somebody slightly different and now see no need not to stand with the former president and vote for him today. CBS News senior White House political correspondent and political correspondent Ed O'Keefe is with us on KMOX. When you when you talk to folks in New Hampshire, I don't know how much uh, um, talking to you've done with voters, people who live there. What are they saying and why they are choosing whoever they are choosing? And, and I know it's difficult to really get an idea of how the entire state feels just by doing a random sampling of interviews. But what are people saying there when you talk to them? Well, and, and I'm on this year-long quest uh, across journalism to suggest that it's not that we talk to voters, it's that we listen to voters. That journalists should be listening to those that are making the decisions and then conveying what they say. And in this case, 
it is similar to Iowa near you guys, immigration. Uh, concerns that the system needs to be overhauled, rethought, retooled. Here, though, it is less a concern about immigrants potentially, you know, overtaking communities, which is a, a false concern to begin with, but more that there are real-world effects of the lax border security because you've seen illegal drugs, most especially fentanyl, cross the border uh, and really uh, cause a scourge of, of deaths and other health concerns in this New England state, which has seen a disproportionate number of fentanyl-related deaths in recent years, really since 2015, 2016. So for them, it's, it's more of a practical, if we don't solve issues at the border, it leads to an increase in the drug trade. It kills our people here. Um, and that's a big concern. The economy, given that this is a state that uh, has a, a much, uh, much more conservative outlook on, on taxes especially, uh, is always a concern here. Uh, this state's economy does pretty well, but there are concerns about the cost of things. And so that, too, like everywhere else, uh, is a topic of concern. And you would think you might see more conversation about national security and veterans affairs because this is one of the states with the highest percentage of veterans in the country. But we've seen less conversation about that, more on those other domestic concerns. And there's just this general argument from former President Trump, especially over the future of the party and, and the desire to take out uh, and defeat President Biden and put back a Republican in the White House. Uh Earlier, um, New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu endorsed Nikki Haley. He's been very critical of Donald Trump. I guess, does his opinion not carry, does not hold very much weight with Republican voters in New Hampshire? Just as it did not in Iowa when Kim Reynolds there endorsed Ron DeSantis. No, it does not. And what's curious and what I'll be watching for is, look, you're on South Carolina now, state number three. The governor there. Most of the statewide office holders and members of Congress have endorsed former President Trump. Will that matter? Or could the inverse be true there, that despite their support, perhaps he doesn't perform as well? Looks like he's going to. Um, so, you know, and we may really be at a point where to be a Republican office holder is less about traditional Republican values and more about how loyal or, you know, how committed are you to Donald Trump? And that is a lesson that those that have not aligned themselves with the former president, at least so far, are going to have to consider and and potentially, you know, think about and determine how they want to align themselves uh, if if uh, if they want a future in the party. Because this is a guy, as you know, who, who keeps score uh, and who calls out those that are not on his side. And as Ron DeSantis saw this week, the moment you are, suddenly uh, the incoming stops. And, uh, and he lets you be. So he is demanding loyalty of the Republican Party. Many have picked up on that. Others have not. We'll see if Sununu here in New Hampshire uh, suffers at all for that. But he's a governor who's not running for re-election and trying to make a statement with his support for Nikki Haley, arguing it's time for the GOP to move on. I suppose that because the this is not uh, official, that we don't know for sure who's going to win today. We all have our ideas and who we think is going to win, and we think he's probably going to win by a lot. It's, um, I, I guess, we have to hold out the the possibility that he doesn't win today. Now, that be if let's say he does, and it's by a significant margin, the folks that you talk to, when it comes to Haley's campaign this entire time, she's been more direct about going after him lately. But have you heard 
anybody who knows, anybody from the inside say, you know what, maybe we should have gone after him sooner. Maybe that's the only way to beat somebody like Donald Trump is to directly attack him as opposed to dancing around it. Well, you could talk to Chris Christie about that. You could talk to Asa Hutchinson about that. You know, it doesn't work. And the reason it doesn't work is you've got to be able to peel off some of his supporters who are at least the plurality of the party uh, as you do your mathematical equation to figure out uh, whether or not you can prevail. So she has to, and, and DeSantis had to do it, and everyone else had to do it. You had to thread the needle. How much do you want to attack him and on what grounds while making an affirmative argument for yourself? And nobody's figured out that secret sauce, and they may not be able to. You know, it may just be that the modern party as it exists, or those participating within it, are more concerned about loyalty to him than anything else. And if that's the case, fine. We'll see how well that does in a general election. But in primaries, at least, uh, it's, you know, at least in the first contest, and we've only got the second one tonight, uh, there are signs that it, it's more about loyalty to him than anything else. And, and that's a tough pill for non-Trump candidates to swallow, but it's uh, it's proving to be reality so far. Switching over to the Democratic side, President Joe Biden will not be on a primary ballot in New Hampshire. H- how much does that matter? Right. And as remind people why that is, the Democrats do not recognize New Hampshire as their first primary. They're starting their official primary season February 3rd in South Carolina, believing that state now better reflects the country and the party's diversity and that that uh, is where, you know, they should be putting their energy. And also they want to reward predominantly uh, a predominantly black voting population for its loyalty to the party through the years. So up here, he's not on the ballot. Minnesota Congressman Dean Phillips is the author, the activist Marion Williamson is, and I even myself was reminded looking at the sample ballot, there are about a dozen other names that you wouldn't know who are on there just because this is a state that sort of allows for that. And they're asking supporters of the president to just write in his name at the bottom. Because at the bottom of this long ballot, there's a, there's a blank where you can write in a name and uh, fill out the little Scantron bubble to suggest that's who you want to vote for instead. This write-in campaign cautions that Write-in campaigns can be difficult, but ultimately there's a belief enough Democrats will show up to put him over the top and to try to end this quest by Congressman Phillips to somehow become the other alternative. And, of course, those of us who monitor these things and, like you guys were saying, prefer to wait until results have come in, do remember history. 1968, Eugene McCarthy, who came up here to challenge Lyndon Johnson, who wasn't running, who was only running a writing campaign and who ultimately won, but didn't win by much. It was just a few days later that Johnson then dropped out. Not to suggest that's what's expected to happen in this case, because the Biden campaign looks at what's going on up here and says it's an academic exercise. We're not worried about it. We are focused on the general election. And tonight he's in Virginia holding a rally with the vice president and their spouses focused on access to abortion rights, believing that that is going to be a paramount general election issue, a galvanizing one for Democrats, and something that can help them hold on to the White House and potentially get back the House, maybe even some governorships across the country. So they're very much in general election mode, even as Republicans are trying to sort out who's going to be their leader. Ed, has anybody there had any thoughts on the fake robocall that was coming from, uh, they don't know who it is yet, I guess, that it was Joe Biden, it was his voice allegedly telling people not to go vote? Well, and it wasn't. Remember, it was AI-generated. Yep. And, and for all the ways that we've been 
learning over the past two years or so how this technology works. Uh, they did it, whoever this is. Uh, there are some reports that several thousand New Hampshire residents would have received this voicemail. The Biden campaign, those running this write-in campaign here in New Hampshire, the state Democratic Party have all called on the attorney general to sort out what this is. They are working on it and, and trying to sort out who might have arranged for this. The Trump campaign tells CBS News they had nothing to do with it. The Dean Phillips campaign tells CBS News they had nothing to do with it. We'll see. But it is less about dirty tricks against Joe Biden in this reporter's view, and more a cautionary tale to voters everywhere in in Missouri and across the country, that you need to be on the lookout for this kind of nefarious activity that looks awfully real or sounds awfully real, but very well may not be. And, uh, you know, just like we have to be careful with emails we get now and and another thing, you know, mail you get and uh, ads you see on TV, uh, this is yet another reminder to be somewhat more observant and aware. And if you have any doubts, stop and check. And uh, in this case, certainly very quickly, people were jumping up to say that is not true. Democrats can and should participate today if they'd like to and uh, ignore those fake calls. Senior White House correspondent and political correspondent for CBS News, Ed O'Keefe, joining us this morning on KMOX. Ed, thank you for your time. Great to be with you. Take care. Uh, That is Ed O'Keefe. You can follow him on Twitter at Ed O'Keefe. No apostrophe, um, obviously. So, Do you want to hear a story that doesn't matter? Yeah, sure. Okay. Right now, or do we want to wait till they come back? mm, No, we should do it now. Because every time I hear the name Ed O'Keefe, I think of the name Jim O'Keefe. And Uncle Keith, if you're listening, um, so Jim O'Keefe works with my uncle. And one time I ran the Chicago Marathon, and my uncle made two signs. He made a giant sign that said, Go Amy. And he had this little sign that was an afterthought that said, Go Jim O'Keefe. And I saw the Jim O'Keefe sign like 10 times, and I never saw the Go Amy sign. And I asked my uncle, who's Jim O'Keefe? And I think he's just a guy that he works with. You know, (laughs) you somehow manage to find and relay stories that matter to three people tops. But I, would, I wanted to ask Ed O'Keefe, are you related to Jim O'Keefe? I don't think he is. Isn't uh, O'Keefe the name of that doofus who's like one of those? Uh, he's been he's been at it for like twenty years. The 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 operative guy, the the right wing operative guy who films people, tries to get them saying something stupid. James O'Keefe, right? That's his name, isn't it? Jim O'Keefe is the no, guy. No, James. James oh. that that you but know what I'm Jim talking about. Jim is short for James. That doofus who's no, like, I don't oh, know like, James O'Keefe. I, I filmed these Planned Parenthood people saying they're oh. selling body parts. I don't know. That don't uh, listen. That has nothing that's to do James with James O'Keefe. That has nothing to do with the person I'm sucks. talking about. That guy sucks so much. He's the worst. Not Ed Jim O'Keefe. O'Keefe. Yeah, yeah, Jim O'Keefe, O'Keefe was great. great. He ran a marathon, and Ed O'Keefe is, is great. Is the best. Ed if you know a better O'Keefe, three one four four three six seventy nine hundred. Text us. This is KMOX. A couple of people have texted in 314-436-7900. Georgia O'Keefe. Oh, Georgia O'Keefe is There great. you go. That's that's a more um, important O'Keefe. Well, but I mean, she's not alive anymore. Well, no, but but I mean, just historically, I guess. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Did you see on uh, Jeopardy the other day, and I meant to bring this up yesterday, but we got sidetracked. Mm-hmm. So there was a category, Meet Me in St. Louis was the category. Really? Which, wow, good wow. for us. I don't know what the, any of the other questions are. 
But I do know that there was one particular question that all of the um, <laughs> competitors could not figure out. Okay. Final clue and meet me in St. Louis. Major League Baseball's Cardinals play their home games at this Sudsy Arena. Brian. What is Budweiser? No. Aaron. What is Anheuser? Also incorrect. Rachel, maybe not a baseball fan. Aaron, so close. It's Bush Stadium. None of them got Bush Stadium. But why would they say this Sudsy Arena? It's not. Is it technically an arena? Like anything is an arena. I mean, anything I that's open air. And I would have said this Sudsy Stadium. Yeah. What is Bush? Um. Well, but if you're giving the word. It's always, listen, whenever you want to hear a bunch of dead air on Jeopardy, make it a sports category. Have you seen the NFL? Like, oh, if you yeah. don't want to get hit, a player will wave for this um, I don't know. This I don't know. Not <laughs> I was afraid what they called it. It was a fair catch, but it was very easy, and and nobody knew it or a touchdown. Nobody knew it. Now, a field goal is worth this many points. Here's a story. This is this is what's interesting. Yeah. Um. And I've I heard about this a long time ago. I I forgot where I heard it for the first time, but originally, Gussie Bush mm-hmm. wanted to name Bush Stadium Budweiser Stadium. Because there was Budweiser beer. Well, the commissioner of the league said, no, I can't do that. You can't name it after alcohol. Mm -hmm. And so he said, okay, fine. I will name it after myself. And then I will make Bush beer. Which is exactly why Bush beer exists. Really? Yep. I actually didn't know that. So it's pretty a great idea because you can't stop the guy from naming it after himself. You know, I think Bush Stadium, it is a great name. It's not as good as guaranteed rate field. No, that, what a what a suck. An absolute suck of a name. <laughs> and the arrow pointing. It literally <laughs> points down. The logo has an arrow pointing down. That is not what you want for your sports team. Yeah. What an organization. I actually didn't that know that is. about Bush Beer. How did I not know yeah. that? Wow. I don't it's, it doesn't seem to be common knowledge. I mean, I think some people know it, but it's not like part of the lore where everybody knows about yeah. it. Right? Um, I think it's super interesting. But also, the stadium has been around and the name has been around since yeah. the 60s. I don't know how you don't know that. Don't you think somebody would have known that? The pinstripe uniforms play in this famous New York arena, uh, Yankee Stadium. They would have known that. They would have known that. Those nerds. Final hour of the show is coming up and also your chance to win Doobie Brothers tickets. All the Doobie Brothers We're are going to be there. We're giving away Doobie Brothers tickets. A pair It's happening next hour. And all next week on KMOX. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.